Worm is a web serial by J.C. McRae, also known as Wildbow. You can read Worm in its original format by visiting parahumans.wordpress.com or donate to Wildbow's Patreon at patreon.com wildbow. This story isn't intended for young or sensitive readers. Readers who are on the lookout for trigger warnings are advised to give Worm a pass. For a complete list, check the description for all of Worm's trigger warnings. And Bay. And we are back for episode two of our Brockton Bay Book Club, reading the second arc of Worm, the web serial by Wildbow. And I think we're just going to jump in here. I think we've kind of got a flow going, started to figure things out. So um, let's, let's, get, let's get into it. Initial thoughts. What's like everyone's sort of snapshot? Snapshot thoughts after reading uh, reading both arcs. Let's start. Let's let's start with our first time readers. So, Cat uh, and Taylor, initial thoughts. Um, like I said about the the first arc that we read, the second arc also just jumps into it. I love that about a series. Literally, stuff is happening. Um, Taylor gets down and dirty like immediately, and I'm so sad that I have to wait to read arc three until after this. So that's where I'm at. Um, I feel like Taylor's starting to kind of come into her confidence and I'm really excited to continue to see her like be tired of, you know, the bullying and really kind of defend herself. And I really enjoyed it. I did not want to stop reading. Um, so definitely excited to see where we go from here, but I definitely knew, I knew she was going to join them. I was like, these people... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're going to be her her buds, so I'm I'm excited. Mm. All right, everybody else, what are we what are we what are we thinking? Thoughts on the rereads? There's so much good stuff, and I forgot how quickly it moves and happens. Um, just rereading this, I'm always hesitant to suggest Worm because I think, man, is it as good as I remember? And is it you know something that'll hook you as quickly as I remember? Um. And man, arc two just pounds that point home that like his writing, his ability to, you know, have people, especially as somebody who's read it before, like just the way that language is used and the already foreshadowing. I'm like, it is a wild amount of all of this is set up in arc two and holy cow, does it pay out? in boatloads throughout the rest of the series. I forgot we introduced the Undersider so soon. Like that we were in arc two and Taylor is already there, like with them. She's already interacting with them. She's at their base. Like, this has already happened and we're in arc two. And I don't remember it happening this quickly. And it's 
it's kind of messing a little bit with like how I remember the pacing of this book going and which is good a good thing I would say because it's it's kind of making me come at it again with a oh I don't remember this okay all right all right so that's been that was that's been fun yeah and uh, it honestly arc two is where I really feel like things start to get exciting where you are you know you, you get introduced to um Taylor in arc one and that's a great setup but arc two is where you get introduced to uh, the undersiders, but also in the interlude, you're introduced to the bigger world of the superheroes around you. And and one of the things I love about this arc too is you get to see even tiny characters shine. Not in the sense of like they're great people or you love them, but in the sense of yeah, that feels like a very real character. Like um, uh, Taylor's teacher who tries to be nice and Ugh. is like, hey, if there's something happening, let me know. But then turns his yeah. back on her later when she really needs him. It's like he feel, he feels like a real person and real uh, you kind of hate him. Yeah. No, as a, as a, as an educator, I, I have a lot of problems with that guy, but like, oh, you don't want to, you don't want to tell on people and potentially get bullied more. Hmm. Well then I guess you like being bullied. And if I see it, I just will ignore it. Like, yeah, I'm just going to pretend that it's not happening. And yeah. it's, Oh yeah. Well, I'm going to give you a sad look, a small shake of my head. I think it was the shake of the head that really got me. Yeah. Like, the shake oh, of the head. And sort of you, the, dude. Yeah. He's like, look, I will give you this one opportunity for me to do paperwork for you. <laughs> she says no. And then he's like, all right, that's fine. <laughs> never again. Yeah, never again. Listen, that's like five uh, whole documents I got to write. I'm not doing that shit. No, um, but I, I, I even even just those minor characters, they feel very real and very human in their very clear faults. Um, and yeah, I just I really enjoyed this arc. It's a fun one. Yeah, just the detail that goes into her uh, her like two buddies that she has to do the project with. I don't. I don't think we ever see again. If I remember correctly, don't tell me that. Don't Maybe tell me that. Back. Please, I need a buddy cup drama with Sparky and Greg. <laughs> <laughs> but Absolutely. yeah, so much. They just feel so alive. They feel. They feel so real. Like I think everyone's like, "Yep, I know who that is. I uh, went to high school with that guy." Like, yep. it just it's a, does such a good job of fleshing those characters out. Absolutely. Um. Should we do a quick summary of the arc? Oh, Ooh. probably a good idea. Uh, Hannah, uh, are you on that? I do. I have it right in front of me. Um, okay, so arc two, insinuation, uh, in which Taylor joins the undersiders. We have kind of an awkward morning um, with Taylor, um, and her hair is kind of burnt, <laughs> kind of like her reliving the night before. Um, she looks up the undersiders and Lung, um, and on the way out, uh, or I guess in classroom, uh, Julia gives Taylor a hard time. And there's this whole incident in Mr. Gladley's class um, with Mr. Gladley, as we said earlier, offering to help with the bullying. But uh, Taylor turns him down. Uh, in the corridor, Emma um, tells the group of bullies that have surrounded Taylor um, something that Taylor said to her in regards to her grieving mother. And Taylor runs out of school where she heads to a public library. and. Uh, looks up in the in the uh, little chat rooms as a little message from Tattletale, and she agrees to meet the Undersiders, where they recruit her 
and she agrees to go with them and shows up in their lovely little hideout where she gets immediately attacked by Bitch and Bitch's dogs. There's a huge throwdown with Bitch, which we love, and Taylor almost leaves, but Gru is able to uh, convince her to stay, and she calls up her dad, telling him that she made some new friends. And then the interlude at the end, we introduce um, Victoria and Amy uh, as Glory Girl, and, um, and the two hatch up a thug that uh, Victoria has gotten a little into beating, and Amy patches her up. Again, patches them up again. Oh, man. Again, just uh, starting from the beginning, the the entire classroom scene, uh, both I love how when how she's looking up the heroes on the wiki, uh, it, it makes the world feel real, where again, uh, this is a high school girl looking up superheroes on the internet, which is exactly what anybody would do in her situation. And I love that. And there's a whole wiki and there's message boards and uh, and the way that Tattletail reaches out to her, uh, Lisa, as she's later, uh, as we know her as. Um, yeah, I, I just love that. It adds that sense of realism. And then, of course, the emotional drop when she gets bullied in class and out of class. It sucks. But yeah. it's very powerful. Yeah. Speaking of like built worlds, the two things I noted down here were like, I love that the fact and her dad and her are talking like, hey, remember Garrett or whatever the guy's name was? You know, he he's he's going to be working a job as a henchman. It's like, oh, good for him. Yeah. <laughs> Although he's working for Uber and Leet, which I is know, <laughs> I know. It's like they're going to make him wear a costume. Probably. Yep. <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of which, though, big, big thing that we find out is we do find out how Taylor's mom dies in this arc, mm-hmm. how she had died. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, it's not necessarily the most crucial plot point but i think that again that little point of realism and also the way that she died explains a lot more of her dad's character and his reserved nature but also kind of that anger and that guilt mm-hmm. um you know i think he, it even mentioned that he uh she caught him like yelling at, at her mom or something to himself um because she died while texting while driving you know um yeah so just stuff like that i it's really mm. really cool yeah, but oh my gosh, I one of the things that, of course, because I, I do my notes um, chapter by chapter just to make sure that I'm capturing thoughts. And before um, Taylor revealed to us that she had made a promise not to use her powers on these bullies, I think that happens much later on, like 2-9, 2-8. Um, one of the things that I was wondering is... With Emma being so harsh, and then when she absolutely brings up the trauma, like just to get at her, knowing that it's going to break her, I was like, what is going on for Taylor not to do something about this? You know, and um, it made, yeah, it made me either think that, oh, she's going to go through this timid arc, or, oh, maybe she knows, like, she can almost like there's a sense of, like, oh, Emma, or, um, Madison or one of these girls, like they have powers and she knows that they're, they're more than hers. And then we have the bitch interaction. (laughs) And I was like, Oh wow. Oh, okay. No, this is a firecracker that we have going on here. And I think she did mention that, um, she didn't necessarily want to start using her powers on innocence. Um, because she felt like that was going to, 
one, open a, a floodgate that she didn't think she would be able to stop. At least that's mm-hmm. the vibe that I was getting from her thoughts. Yeah. Yep. And yep. then Definitely. I think she also had said, like, right now she can separate, like, she can escape. She even mentioned escapism. Like, she could escape by going and being this alternate personality, this alternate character. And if she starts using her powers when she's not being that character, um, I think that she's afraid that. I don't think that she's, I think she thinks that her timid bullied self will bleed over into her confident superhero self. Yes. Very much the Batman and Robin dynamic where he's just like, we don't kill because it's hard. We don't kill because it would be too easy. Like that whole thing where it's just like, yeah, no, yeah. Well, once, and, once you give in. Yeah. Once and, you cross that and line. To, uh, at this point where Taylor is, she said that she wants to be a cape as well. She wants to be a hero. And she's met Armsmaster, and she feels like, oh, I have this in. So there's also this pressure to be like, you know, I can't, be I can't attack the girls at my school yeah. with wasps because then what superhero agency is going to be like, oh, yeah, we want her on our team, you know? Um, yeah. They go so, through this whole line of logic yeah. in arc one, I'm pretty sure, where she goes yeah. through her head and says, hey, if I do this, they're going to be like, oh, like this isn't going to be some weird thing happens nobody's going to go, ah, what an odd coincidence. They're going to go, somebody's got powers there. They're going to come in, they're going to inspect, they're going to find me out, and they're going to be like, there's that troubled youth who had powers, and then I'm not going to be a superhero. Yeah, exactly. Um, She's very aware of people's perceptions, like, not just perception of, like, what she looks like, but that people are looking out for this. Same with uh, how she, like, yeah, if you're looking up certain stuff online, people could probably find you like she's not unaware that how easy it would be for her to mess up and for people to find her out, which is right. Honestly, uh, like, like she said, you know, very much the Batman, you know, no killing thing. It's partly that that's a line I don't want to cross. Cause I think it would just be easier after that. But the first reason she gives us is very utilitarian. If I lash out at them, I will get outed. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And she's even like she still has the secret from her dad too, which she mentions in her logic as well, that lashing yeah. out before she tells her dad is not how she wants her dad to find out that she has powers. Right. Yeah. 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 What I think is interesting with that is that she kind of has this very um clear image of what she believes a superhero does, which I find very interesting looking at the interlude at the end of Arc Two and seeing mm. um Glory Girl and panacea interacting with this thug and kind of like it's it's interesting because it's like taylor isn't a superhero you know she's not in the world you know she's had one interaction with one (laughs) one good guy on a roof and she has this assumption of like what that's going to look like if she were to become a hero and even the way that she's joining the undersiders her whole motivation behind it is like well i can i can basically investigate and get information and bring it back to Armsmaster or bring it back to somebody or basically do good while being undercover. And it's like, it's interesting because here we have this, you know, interlude to the end where Glory Girl is almost killing this guy. And that line of uh, capes of being good or being bad is kind of blurred. and. 
seeing what that's going to look like as Taylor, you know, becomes more and more part of the undersiders and whatever underbelly that she gets pulled into is like, what, where, where is the line? Because it doesn't seem like it's so black and white. Yeah. And that, and that's such a, I mean, that becomes such a theme in the whole story. And I love that you brought that up. The contrast between the whole, this whole arc could be summed up with like how Taylor is approaching that line and she's sort of wrestling with how she's going to be involved. She's now, she's, you know, doing her superhero thing. Like, how's this going to look? Contrasted with, as you said, Glory Girl's just very brute approach towards the hero lifestyle. And that is such a theme through the whole story of just like, where is that line? And, uh, and, and who gets to cross it? Um, And it's, uh, it's, it's subtly mentioned in that interlude too, but that, um, Glory Girl and Panacea are part of the new wave of heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, and if if you didn't, uh, you know, I, it, it wasn't quite so obvious, but it was in there and I remembered it from later. New Part of what's unique about New Wave is that they have public identities with their real names. Uh, and mm-hmm. so, whereas being a, a cape in Taylor's mind, it's inherent that you have to lie to people you love in order to be a cape. Uh, for New Wave, there is that powerful contrast because they're like, no, you know who my mom is? She's the biggest lawyer in the whole town. She's going to mess you up if you try to come after me. You know, like this very public persona as a superhero, which is just very different. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that uh, it's going to be very interesting to see the uh, private contractor aspect versus like the government or protectorate aspect of mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely am going to see some conflict there. But something I'm also excited about that um, Wild Bo seems to be doing very well is just showing the learning curve that's going to happen. Because I know we haven't mentioned it yet, but my God, I literally had a visceral reaction uh, whenever I found out that Lung will not be giving um, baby lungs anymore. Um, (laughs) Because, you know, in her mind, mind, she's like this, you know, I'll put it in quotes since he never says it, but, you know, this dragon, you know, of course he can just take a couple of, you know, bug bites to the dick. I mean, can't we all? And then they're like, bro, you put him into the hospital. Like an ER doc was like, oh, he'll be fine. And then came back and was like, oh no. Oh God. This is the segment I would like to introduce our podcast within the podcast called what the fuck Taylor. <laughs> um, and on this time, what the fuck Taylor uh, rotting lungs junk off. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah, I, I will uh, say it took me a second to realize you were talking about what the fuck book Taylor. I thought you meant because yeah, it could go either way. <laughs> it really, really could. good. It really good. Well, I mean, Taylor, she is very I'll, I'll say I'll say she right after I say Taylor. So we know which Taylor we're talking about. Taylor, she is horrified finding out that that lung is in the hospital. And like, I think what's great about that conversation is her realizing like, oh, my power is way stronger than I anticipated. I, I, I put this guy, this guy who is supposed to be unbeatable, and as Gru and Tattletail say, who has had multiple groups go up against him and not make a single dent. She went up against him, hidden on a rooftop, and now he's in the hospital. And I think that that moment of Taylor being like, oh my God, like I, I did that. Like, kind of that realization of like horror, like, oh my God, I did that. But then also a little bit of pride of like, I did that. Like that was me. 
And that is very exciting to see Taylor figuring out her power, figuring out what she can do with her bugs. And I love, I love the mental image of this huge swarm between her and bitches dogs and her just like creating this giant swarming wall that these massive dogs are terrified to, you know, go near because she's protecting herself with this wall of bugs. Like that is, oh, it's such a clear image in my head and I love it. And it just to build, one of the dogs like a shih tzu? At least I thought I read that. Uh, it was a, it was just one of them was a shitty dog. One, <laughs> one of them is a one of them is a hairless dog, I believe. Yeah, I, uh, I know we got to look I'll up. Have to look because I could have sworn yeah. I know one was a German. Shepherd, I'll look it up. I'll look it up. Like a one-eyed Yorkie or something. And if it's not, it is now. Yeah. <laughs> Spiritually, no, it was a shit too. To, to build off of uh, of what you just said, Hannah, though. Um, I love I love the contrast of of her confrontation with bitch in this arc to the very end of arc one where our master is asking her like hey do you think you could have taken the undersiders and she's like well I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure the girl with the dogs could have taken me on her own so no and like mm. <laughs> now realizing post hospitalized lung and the not like a fight but a bit of a confrontation with with bitch that like Oh no, she she probably could. She she probably could take her. Like it, it would be a closer fight. Was what was kind of fun. And before yeah. we before we come back to the undersiders, right quick, you just put this image in my head of Armsmaster at the press conference, and they're like, <laughs> "All right, so we see that you've started using like utilizing um bugs to castrate your enemies." And he's like, "Wait, what?" And they're like, "Yeah, would you like to elaborate on that?" And he's like, "Uh, uh." Like that just that image just sounds hilarious. Yeah. Um, but to, <laughs> to tie both of the oh, oh no 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 please go ahead. I would say to tie both of those together, what we've been talking about, there is a point where uh, where Taylor's looking at you know the news article and she smiles to herself about lungs arrest, and I, I find it so telling about her character that it's a point of pride, not anger that that Armsmaster's taking credit for it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah. she's she's not ha- she it's not that she's like oh I wish that were me that I was you know on stage you know getting the attention she's like I'm thankful I could do that yeah that I could help that I could be a a participant in making sure this guy is arrested yeah um, yeah just showing it's not about the spotlight for her it's yeah. like the desire to be a hero to be a cape is something else is driving her. Um, so I looked up really quick the dogs, uh, bitches' dogs. So it says here, the largest of the dogs, an ugly Rottweiler or a mutt mm-hmm. with strong Rottweiler blood. And then we have the two other dogs, a German Shepherd and a hairless terrier with a missing ear and eye. Mm. That's the one I definitely thought was a Shih Tzu. <laughs> hairless Shih Tzu. I don't know why. Hairless, I mean, hairless terriers, you, you know. It's, I do I do like the the mental image of bitch having like a Rottweiler, a German Shepherd, and a Chihuahua. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love gotta, that one. The big ones go for like the face, neck, all of that stuff. Then you gotta get someone to go for the Achilles, you know? Ankle biter. It's true. Mm, Ankle it's biters, true. yeah, for sure. Also, I just looked this up really quick. The American hairless terrier uh, looks a little bit like a Jack Russell uh, smaller, but is hairless. You don't Ew. say. Gross. <laughs> Absolutely. Ew, gross. 
Yeah. <laughs> also, um, I, I'll definitely I'll plug this this show because it was really great, and I think most of us have seen it and enjoyed it. But I thought that Dairy Girls did a very good job of showing teenagers as teenagers, and mm-hmm. I, I will relate mm-hmm. that to this. I think the Undersiders does a really good job of showing like teenagers operating in this manner because it's kind mm-hmm. of like, oh, we have a new person. Let's just show our identities. Let's just show our powers. Let's just invite you in to our. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles pizza den, and let's yeah. just uh, mm-hmm. get into a little tussle. Let's get into a little, you know. It was. It's just very. Even though I, you could tell that they were trying to. Like, oh, of course she showed up in costume. Like, oh, of course, you know we're trying to like also be secretive and not trustworthy, but also we're teenagers, yeah. so we're like not doing it effectively. I just thought it was great in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very very yeah. high school click you know, yeah. clicky sort of feeling, which is another great contrast to to the bullies in her actual yep. school where, you know, she's been abandoned by her friends, her former friends for so long. And now she, here she is just accepted into another sort of yeah. teen friend group. And she's yeah. obviously, even though she's not as outspoken about it, you can tell that she's just very eager to... Well, she's starved for attention. Yeah. She's starved for friendship. She's starved for a social interaction that doesn't end with juice being poured all over her head. Like her, her telling her dad on the phone, just being like, yeah, I think they're good people. Even while a gun sits on the table, not a couple feet from her. Like it shows that Taylor, <laughs> these are not good people, but also you are so desperate to be liked and treated like a person. Like I, yeah, you know, <laughs> I, so I think that, um, I, you know, at the very end there, she had said like, oh, these seem like good people. And it says, I lied. That for me solidified the idea in my head that Taylor is a little bit of an unreliable narrator because I think she's trying to almost convince us Mm. that she's too, she's a good guy and she would never, ever consider truly being on their side because they're bad guys but i think in reality she is kind of liking them especially brian grew and um lisa tattletale so i think there's a little bit of like her trying to tell us that like oh yeah i'm just i'm doing this for so i can get intel or oh yeah like they're she's never gonna know like tattletale might find out that i'm not truly here for the right reasons and whatnot, but I'm like, oh, maybe Tattletale knows more about you than you do in this situation. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah. also, she I'll gets one side hug, like a single side hug. I was going to say. Yeah, and then literally like, says, oh, well, having one of these not from my dad is awesome. And yeah. I was like, damn. Yeah. I was like instant best friends. Okay. Or even, even, um, she even says like that she was embarrassed that a guy like him, Brian Grew, would be pleased um, like that on her account. I'm like any sort of attention, yeah. she is just soaking yeah. up like yeah. desperately, and not even in a bad way because this is like the right kind of attention, right? They're not even like giving. It's not even like the you know when. I mean, let's talk about like the '90s, early 2000s, like trope um, in teen movies where it's like all of a sudden they start talking to the unpopular oh, girl, and yeah. like, oh, we're gonna make her, you know, and they're all, you know, you think they're gonna, gonna be your best friends. Right, you think they're gonna take friends, off her glasses really and do her hair assholes. different. This, I'm like, this yeah. is like the right kind of attention. Like they're actually, 
which I actually did think about the same concept, Nick, that you just said, like taking off her glasses. Um, I was like, <laughs> she keeps talking yeah. about how plain she looks. And I have a feeling that mm. if we ever get Brian's or Lisa's perspective, I feel like the perception from the outside world is going to be different. I feel like she, I don't necessarily think we're going to be like, Oh my God, she's actually the hottest person ever. She's I just think that gorgeous. I just think that again, I think she's a bit of an unreliable narrator and she's, she, we're just getting what she feels and what she thinks, but that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that that's the reality here. Um, so yeah, I think she could end up being observation. more than she actually thinks she is. In a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really good observation too. Uh with the unreliable narrator part. That's something I hadn't even really thought of rereading it. So uh that's really I, good. I hope we don't get a teenage boy perspective where he's just like, Oh, <laughs> I walk into the clubhouse and oh hottie number one is talking to hottie number two. Just, <laughs> oh, let me just head to the bathroom right quick. Oh well, I think, like <laughs> I think I think the fortunate we have we have the fortunate, uh, at least for the the boy characters we have. We have uh, Regent or Alec, who's just kind of an ass. He's not like that kind of a guy. He's, He's a just a little boy. bit of an ass, yeah. Um, and then Brian, who is like the young Il- Idris Elba. Oh my god! Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yes. mm. You know, which uh, I do. I do love the diversity of the characters so far. Um, I don't think we've had any lack of diversity in this. Like, I mean, I also like books that don't describe characters almost at all, just because then you can kind of let your imagination go. But sometimes when books are trying to add in diversity, it almost feels like in your face. And I mean, like they're just so explicit of like, and they were a black man and you're just like, (laughs) you didn't have to do that. I'm not like, you could probably have been a little bit more subtle and we could have figured yeah. it out or you could have just not. And it would have been better than the way you described it. But I feel like yeah. they're doing, I think John McRae is doing a really good job. At, is that his name? John? Yeah. I th- okay. think so. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, it's John. Yes. <laughs> wow. Bo, sorry. Um, <laughs> Mr. McRae is my father. Mr. McRae. Um, <laughs> I think he does a really good job of describing diverse characters um, without it feeling, what's the word I'm looking for? Like pushy. I, I mean, I agree with you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a right and a wrong way to have a diverse cast of characters without it feeling like, well, I'm going to have my token black character and I'm going to have my token gay character and I'm going to have my token whatever. And it's like, it, you can tell, like, we can all tell if there's a book or a movie or a show that does that. It feels forced. It feels weird. But I like what you said, Kat, that this doesn't feel weird. It feels natural. Like it doesn't feel like, you know, Guru is our token black character at all. It feels like just a bunch of people hanging out. And I think it helps yeah. that that Wildbo sort of made a, a pretty bold decision early on, but to kind of uh, racially divide a lot of the groups and gangs within the world, within Brockton Bay specifically. So like the first group we meet is the gang, the ABB, is yeah all Asians. And then in the interlude here for arc two, we, we hear about the white supremacist group. So like Mm. it's, it's a really interesting, it feels very real and it's a risky line to walk as a writer, obviously when you're trying to portray reality, but also not like, not obviously. Exactly. Exactly. But he does, I think he does a pretty good job at that. 
and like you're right, it feels very natural. The world feels very real, and and he does the smart thing of of splitting it. Like, yep, everybody's bad. There's there's bad groups everywhere. Everyone's kind of a villain. Uh, you know, don't yeah. read don't read too much into it. Just just let the world be lived in. Yeah, everyone's a villain. I think is really what solidifies it, though, because I feel like yeah. when we've had like racial and many other things, when it's like a racial divide, it's always a um, oh, this one's the good guys and this one's the bad guys, and that doesn't seem to be the case here. Um, it's yeah, like yeah. everyone could be good and everyone can be bad. Like it's very clear already that the reason why there are racial gangs is because that's a reality of city life and it sounds like they're in like yeah. a big city i'm imagining like a new york yeah it's the boroughs yeah yeah it's in um i think it's supposed to be in maine is that what it said uh, i thought it was uh, i don't I think it was they ever actually we know it's east okay. northeast so i think people north, have just sort yeah. of yeah. speculated yeah. between oh, like yeah, yeah. you, you are right maine. nick they, yeah. they they did have some superheroes come down from maine because i remember they maine came down mentioned. from maine that's what they said yeah yeah they came down from maine but no i um and that's to that point, Kat, about everybody can be bad. That's why Glory Girls interlude is so important, I think, too, is that contrast between, hey, the Undersiders, sure, they're bad guys, but they're actually really nice versus Glory Girl. She's a superhero. Kind of mean, like almost killed a guy. Not I, great, you know? <laughs> I was saying this to um, Taylor my Taylor earlier that um, I think it was, I thought it was kind of funny that she was like, Oh fuck. I did it again. And then she like called her sister. Like, can you come like help? It's just, just like, are you kidding? Like, can you stop trying to like, can you stop accidentally almost murdering people? I love that. <laughs> she fucking punts a goddamn dumpster. Like yeah. I reread that to oh make sure yeah. she punts a goddamn dumpster into this guy and i was like did she punt it in front of him nope she sent it down the alleyway tumbling into his ass yeah it was so fun <laughs> rereading it, yeah i like i like that we're transitioning into the interlude because i love this interlude so much uh, it was so fun rereading this chapter post the boys because this felt like a scene right oh, out yeah. of right out of the boys where it you did. have glory girl who's who's really described at least from, from the way i read it her costume is very similar to yes. starlight has yeah. got that yeah. same yeah, vibe, yeah. same look, all of that kind of stuff, and then just b- brutally inefficient in in her <laughs> tactics, which was just so fun reading that. But I wanted to contrast that with the boys because obviously the boys is like a a, a satire on the superhero genre and all this kind of stuff, and Worm isn't a satire, but yet it's it, like that scene feels so realistic. Like yes, if you give a a teenager superhuman powers. Yeah. Do you really expect them to not just Behave break kneecaps? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, I love the dynamic when when uh, Panacea comes in and how she's so hesitant at first, and by the end she's like, "I mean, I didn't really heal them all the way up, or did I? Maybe I'm playing mind games." Like they just felt so young, and it was so such a fun dynamic. I love those. I love both of them so much. Yeah. Also, I'm just going to jump in really quick here. And um, so Brockton Bay is the Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts area. So um, ah. New England-ish okay. yeah, kind okay. of yeah, okay. area. Okay. So I know they, they mentioned, like uh, like our Taylor said, uh, superheroes came down from Maine. 
but I couldn't remember if it was in Maine. So it's kind of in that New England area, which makes sense. Yeah. So think yeah. more kind of uh, Boston me. Yeah. Yeah. I think I of just people. everything from The Wire. Like, just take any yeah. season from The Wire, and that's where they're set. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, <laughs> one of my favorite things about Worm are the powers. So, I was wondering if we could talk about just the different powers and what your thoughts are, what you guys' thoughts are on them um, oh. at, that are shown in the chapter uh, or in the arc. Because I, I love the superpowers in Worm. That's part of what gets me into it, is finding out what people can do. So. Yeah. Yeah, hey, yeah. Nick, I've got a great question to ask you. Ask me. What's your favorite power this arc? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. My favorite power in this arc, uh, which is a good, I'm glad you clarified that. Um, <laughs> honestly, this is really silly because we haven't even seen more than a, a split second of it, but I like Regent's power. Mm. I think here's the thing I like and that's part of why I like Taylor too is because her power is one as we find out in this arc it seems really small it's like yay you can control bugs cool good for you but then it turns out like oh no this is actually kind of dangerous like you know Mm. lungs dick fell off Um, (laughs) as someone who freaks out when I see the smallest spider um, I do not think that controlling massive amounts of bugs is a small feat, regardless of if right, it's right. not. Any bugs, oh, absolutely. And like, you bring any bugs at me, I'm you've you've beat me. I'm done. You're good. Yeah, and, and part of that, that too is yeah. yeah what it, if and, you had the power to keep the bugs away? <laughs> that would be, there you that go. That would be a power. That's me, Kat. Well, if we trade off, is you know powers. that they exist. Oh God, no. Yeah. <laughs> Insert the yeah. dust bowl. Mm. <laughs> yeah but no um but that is but in taylor's mind her powers feel insignificant to her obviously they're not we know they're not um but to her they do feel it but that's why i like regent's power because it's such a subtle power and we haven't really seen it used yet but i just love that idea of somebody who with enough focus you know they can make you drop your cup of coffee in your lap they can make you pull a trigger when you don't mean to you know all this stuff that like like it's such a small thing where he can make you fire a nerve impulse that you didn't mean to fire. Um, and we all have those moments where we, you know, sort of involuntarily twitch or something and it's awkward or, you know, or we stub our toe on something or whatever. And I just love the idea of a whole super villain who has to think so creatively at using their power, uh, because it's such a small power, but it could be used in such creative ways. So regents Mm -hmm. is probably Mm -hmm. my favorite from the arc. Yeah, let's make that a we'll make that a reoccurring reoccurring question as the arcs go on. Just gonna we're definitely gonna come back to that. Yeah, go ahead, Alan. Oh, I was gonna say heck yeah, because I have that written new segment, my favorite cape slash power. Perfect. (laughs) Um, And for this round, I will choose Tattletail. Because I freaking love Tattletail's power. Just what does Tattletail do? Tattletail fills in the blanks. Yeah, and I love I love that at this point in the story, we don't really know. Like like Taylor doesn't know exactly how her power works. She's just kind of figuring out. She's like, oh, she's she's got great intuition, uh, you know. But it's it's still very hidden from her, and obviously from kind of the audience as well in terms of just like exactly how and how much she can use it and what it gives her and all this kind of stuff and like what kind of information does she get. Uh, really, really fun power from the reader's perspective as we're kind of kind of reading it through Taylor's eyes of trying to 
like understand exactly who and and what Tattletail can do. Yeah, I just it's it's one of those like it's not an upfront power, but the more you think about it, you know, like most of these powers, but the more you think about it, the more application it has. And she goes in to describe like, yeah, like the more information I have to work with, the better, but I can just fill in blanks. So if it's like passwords are super easy because you're like, oh, I need a password. What's the password? Oh, fill in the blank. And she just has your password like. That's super dangerous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like Sherlock Holmes on crack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's Sherlock Holmes not even trying. It's yeah. it's not even she's just like, let me go to your mind palace real quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All of the undersiders have great have great powers. I mean, it's it's funny. I think uh, out of all of them, I think I think Gruz is my least favorite. But even mm-hmm. with that being said, it's still really unique and like and the way way you're describing it nick and just in terms of the way wild bow writes powers like there's uh, darkness generation just isn't a power you see anywhere else like it's it's such a unique power and uh and the way he uses it and all of that obviously we'll kind of get into that as we see more of him but but yeah and the in the extra effects it has to that yeah exactly yeah. create this uh sensory dampening zone is really interesting too yeah 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 i mean honestly actually my my favorite this arc was gonna be Groot. like i love i love that i love that that's that's his power and like that he (laughs) that he wrote his little addition into the wiki to like attempt to confuse people or anyone who might look up what his powers might be Mm, like i mm. love that he even thought of that like oh yeah i'm gonna edit my own wiki so that people you know get confused by what I might do and like Taylor getting turned around in the darkness of being like wait I don't know where I am anymore like I've lost all sense of direction because you know her trying to go down the stairs in the Mm -hmm. dark or whatever it's not just like oh who turned out the lights it's like you are so disoriented you have no idea which direction you're going in and I think about that a lot with like fun fact people who are drowning can get very disoriented yeah. and swim down instead of swim up because they get so turned around underwater. And like, oftentimes the best way to figure that out is to follow the bubbles, you know, follow the bubbles up. And I love, but I love that. I love this. Like it's his, his power Gru's power is so much more than just darkness. It's that disorientation is so, oh, so cool. I'm, I'm into it. I'm very into it. Yeah, I'll I'll agree with Hannah. I'm also team Gru just because the way he describes it and everything. And it's just a one off line. But she's like, oh, yeah. And it also like blocks radiation. And I was like, wait a second. This isn't darkness generation. This is the literal absence of light. And I was like, that is awesome. We're literal like light waves. And he's it's literally blocking everything. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going to have some really yeah. cool applications later on yes yeah. i'm so oh, excited yeah. to see his power in action more like i can't wait to see it mm-hmm. kat did you say your favorite power i have not so favorite power i'd have to agree with Gru. um favorite cape though is definitely panacea and the reason why is i love a good uh thought process going into naming and Panacea is mm. the god of universal health. So I really liked that there was thought that went into her um, superhero name, her cape name. Because um, I, I feel like 
Glory Girl was such a cop out <laughs> Like, I'm like, I'm not kidding. like the, ooh, you got superhuman strength, you can fly. And her name's Glory Girl. Okay. Glory Girl. And then her sister yeah. comes in and she's Panacea and she's talking about the Hippocratic Oath. And the thing is, like, Panacea is mentioned in the Hippocratic Oath, like, if you read the full thing. Um, I just thought it was kind of a really well thought out um, yeah. analysis of her own power that, and versus, you know, in contrast to glory girl who obviously put zero thought into it, like none, and which is very clear <laughs> yeah. in the way that she fights as well. So yeah. I'm yeah. really interested With to see yeah. Amy a lot more. Um, not because, I mean, like her power isn't specifically that like new, in terms of like what we've seen before in other media, but I feel like she, I'm really interested in seeing how she uses her power, especially after the whole discussion about how she doesn't really want to like go into the brain. Cause she's not, you know, she's very conscious of like not wanting to, you know, screw up with people's um, mental states and all of that. Like you can tell that she has a conscious, a conscience, um, Another line that somebody might not want to cross. Right. Mm. Exactly. Mm. So I'm, I'm actually really excited to see how she um, uses her power going forward. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of, of names and amazing names, bug. Why? Oh, I love the fact, man, (laughs) like I, I, I love that. We're going to hear this for a while. This is, Bugs just such a great cape name. No, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with this. It's so not thought out. <laughs> well, like, to be fair, she didn't. She did not think it. That's yeah. true. Speaking Sometimes it was greatness <laughs> upon is her, not. You know? That's right. Greatness is thrust upon you. <laughs> you know. I mean, it's easily remembered, obviously, but like, yeah. Ugh, yeah. I no. think that a different name is going to come about. But I, I have a I have a feeling that Bug is gonna almost turn into like a cute nickname that everybody that her friends call her the, the undersiders because I'm I'm calling it they're gonna be besties um, throughout <laughs> there this. You go. So yeah. That's, well, that's spe- a- speaking of uh, speaking of calling it, we can maybe yes. like wrap up wrap up. Anyone else has no, some, no, some no, final no, thoughts? Because no, we've got to go. We've yeah. got to go. We've got to talk about the biggest thing here. Go for it. The 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 throwdown. We've got to talk about the throwdown. Oh, oh, with with bitch. Oh yeah, we're uh fucking pu- just punts her head like a soccer ball, yeah. and then fucking bounces it like a basketball. I do Holy love, shit! I do love uh, speaking of speaking of uh, Taylor's thought process. I love how she she's thinking about it. She's like, I'm not going to use my powers on people. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. that moment where, like, the glass <laughs> the glass in her mind shatters and she realizes, wait a second, this isn't a girl in my high school. I can beat this person up. and just This is a villain. This is I a have, villain. And they just attacked the me. Yeah. And what? nobody What are they going to do? Call the cops? <laughs> I loved that she was like, why did you do that? And then she just goes absolutely ballistic. Like... She was like so hurt at first, and then she was like, "Wait a minute! You use your powers. I'm gonna use I'm gonna mine." Use mine, yeah. And all the yeah. all the feelings, all the feelings from all the bullies just welling up and coming out. Yeah, at yeah, it's about is just mm, well. It also it starts off with yes, she's attacked by the dogs, but then she looks up and Gru has absolutely decked 
just mm-hmm. bitch across the face, which yep. yeah. equal mm-hmm. opportunity, baby, let's go. But also it just shows also, that, oh, these are, these are teenagers. Like they're just scrapping and it's like, oh, hormones and emotions are flaring. <laughs> and oh my gosh, I was, and then as soon as Taylor jumped in, I was like, yes, let's go stand up for yourself. Let's go. And I love too that like, she intimidates dogs with her fleet of bugs too. Yeah. Like, yes. I love like it. That so moment much. where like you can you can feel like again, like realistic behavior. I don't know how realistic that is for dogs, but I feel like if if like just you took a dog and then threw a whole swarm of bugs in front of it, the dog would be pretty confused. And be it'd be like, yo, wait, what the fuck? Because you know? yeah, I, yeah. I also had a note written down that if bitch and Taylor were reversed, just personality right wise. There would have been like 50 stray dogs all trained, ready to go that she had yeah. just scattered throughout. Mm, but then it's like this, this absolute homeless idiot just just so <laughs> happens to, you know, be on the soup line and then get some powers. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, I know that the writing it definitely wants us to hate her. If their personalities were switched, uh, then it'd be like a homeless guy with a with uh, bees living in his beard is like what I'm imagining. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. Oh, I love it. No, no, it's I just love the it so lice. Much. It's just the lice. Ew, the no, lice. I like the bees in the beard. I like the bees in the beard. That's very cool. I love that imagery. I need a whole. I need a whole arc just on this man with bees in his beard. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the when when see. the reason she comes back, she says, "I lo- I just love this quote. I have two quotes, and I'll end on the other one. But if I." I quit, she wins, and I'm not fucking having that. Yes. Ooh, Love it. Yeah. Love Go, it. Taylor. So good. Absolutely. All right, well, I guess we'll go to the ending segment, and we'll do Taylor and Kat's predictions for the future. Yeah, our Woo! Taylor and uh, and Kat, yeah, predictions for the future. Absolutely. So predictions, will, like, I like, let's do it kind of way we would do it. So prediction, immediate predictions, like what do you think we're going to see in the next arc? And then any any changes, any updates to your sort of long-term predictions, anything like that? What do you guys have? All right, ladies first, go ahead. Okay, so um, I'm already seeing, you know, kind of the her joining the Undersiders, um, which was my prediction last time. So I don't think that this is going to, like, change. Like, she thinks it, that she's not staying with them, but she's staying with them. So I feel like that's, like, an, a long-term and an immediate because, like, it's obviously pretty clear that she's becoming a little bit of emotionally attached to them, even with the small amount of interaction that she's had. And even despite bitch, um, I think that, I mean, even with the interlude, I don't think it's going to be very long before she um, meets new wave. Um, So I'm kind of interested to see how that comes out, but I don't think I have any other new predictions for this one. Um, So go ahead. Okay. Um, I definitely um, was predicting the heel turn last time. Um, now I am about half and half. I could see her definitely seeing how the world works and jumping on with the Undersiders, or her being with the Undersiders is going to help them kind of to go good, you know, or, or just as good as you can be in this universe. Um, and then long-term prediction, uh, after having in the interlude, we've had the uh, Nazi basically break down all the comings and goings. And we know that Coyle, uh, he is 
basically come onto the scene with about 50 or so paramilitary men armed with lasers. So we are definitely about, this is about to be like a political intrigue situation, I think, which I am totally down for seeing how the libertarian superheroes are going to fight against the government superheroes are going to fight against the, the heist teams. It's, I have a feeling it's going to be a great time. Mm, mm. All right. And did 9-11 well, happen? <laughs> we've got to find out so many questions yet. yeah we've got we to work on that one all right well this was fun uh arc three i think is uh we're going to stick with an arc a week here for as long as we can so uh arc three for next time and thanks to everyone who's been listening and uh, reading along with us it's been a lot of fun stick around for part two where we break down adapting this second arc uh, for visual media for television it's gonna be a lot of fun and we'll see you next time. Welcome back to uh, the second half of episode two, where we dive into approaching Worm from an adaptation perspective, uh, specifically adapting it for long-form television, um, some sort of serialized television formats, kind of, kind of the direction we're going here. We did arc one last episode, kind of breaking down, really condensing arc one into essentially the pilot episode for series and now we're sort of moving into uh what's likely i think i think would be episode two of the series if we're kind of keeping an arc per episode at, at this point although yeah, that I'm sure i think some... this is perfectly cut for another singular episode yeah it, it feels that way and, I, and i'm sure we'll i'm sure we'll sort of overlap uh, arcs as as we move on but it's kind of nice at this point because we do sort of get enough to sort of fill an episode so uh so let's kind of yeah. dive into it. Let's uh, where, where do you want to start? Yeah, we're going to start by just saying it's it's me, Alan, and you, Jacob, and for right now, it's just the two of us over here. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Yeah, just got us, just us two in the in the booth for for this episode. I think. Hmm. I wrote at the top. Routines define us, um, and this brings me to something I love about the writing. And something that I think is going to be hard to come across, if not impossible, for uh, for the television. And okay. that is, how do you show what it's like to look through somebody's eyes? Because I, mm. Taylor says this line, it's like one of the opening lines when she and her, her dad are getting up in the morning and making breakfast and all that. Routines define us. And I put like insects. Mm. Um, yeah. Because that's a big part of Wild Bo is he writes specifically the worm characters in terms of like they are unique to their powers, how they view the world. And I don't know if you can get that unless you're like a really good director or something. I don't know how you're going to get that 
on the screen. Yeah, that's definitely that's a challenge. That's that's absolutely a challenge, um, especially with a first person narrative for most of the story. Um, that's always difficult because as a as as a reader, when you're reading the story, you you read through a lot of uh, internal monologue and exposition and things like that that you know unless you're doing I think we joked last time unless you're doing like the film noir you know detective you know narrating over the action uh, it's really hard to convey that how do you how do you how do you convey a lot of what is written visually without just resorting to just rote exposition which hmm. we don't want to do um, I was thinking about that the other day, actually, because I was trying to think of stories that have that have had adaptations from first person narratives. The only one that I'm sure there's there's been many. The only one that immediately jumped out to me was The Hunger Games, which uh, mm. was kind of an interesting case because I don't having having read most of the books and then seeing the films, I didn't actually care for the adaptations. <laughs> I didn't. I don't. I don't like the yeah. films. The, the film's choices they made uh, in, in many situations uh, as opposed to the way the, the stories play out when you read them. Um, so maybe, you know, looking at that as sort of a, a sort of what to avoid, but it is definitely going to be a tricky thing to do. Now, I think a lot of that can be solved with things that that film and television can do that books can't. For example, you know, showing insects crawling around showing order and all of that kind of stuff um there's a lot of things you can do visually that that the book doesn't do so there's definitely some some ways around that but that's absolutely going to be a challenge for for any director and writing this putting this into a screenplay format we have to sort of be aware of yeah it's something i'm i am both like worried about not that this is even my own writing but like there's so much here that is internal monologue that you would be shifting out and replacing mm -hmm. with very subtle cues mm -hmm. and i don't think you should i don't think there should be any more than subtle cues um because i think if you overtly had somebody narrate you know do voiceover to be like ah yes and here's what they're thinking inside their head you know, <laughs> right. I, I think that's only been done well, like twice that I can think of. Yeah. Um, and, you know, otherwise, like at the same time, it's just it's too little, but it would be so we would never get through anything if we had to have Taylor's internal monologue because it's so interesting and so vital for this. But you got to cut it for time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think some of that uh, I think some of the the uh, the issue that we just kind of have to overcome is realizing that this is a different medium, and so because of that, you're going to get a different story because it's it's visual, it's not written, and you will just unfortunately lose some of that whenever you're switching mediums, and then the trade off is again gaining the advantages of being able to see things play out and being able to play with with scenes and and visualizing the insects you know for example and things like that so there's pros and cons and, I, and one of the cons is definitely going to be losing some of the 
uh, emotion that comes from reading Taylor's monologue. Yeah. Another interesting thing I was thinking about uh, in terms of like adaptations is this will be an adaptation that it's, you know, it's based on a web serial and it's not a book. So the pacing for it, and, and there are books that do uh, a type like this, where every every chapter is a self-contained kind of uh, plot, you know, the four-point plot of, you know, exposition, the rising action. Like, they'll do mini versions of that, and then it leaves you on the cliffhanger so that you read the next one. Um, but a web serial is exactly that. Like, you've got to have the cliffhanger so the person mm-hmm. reads the next part and um you know adapting that to television is really easy because that's you want them hooked for the next scene you want them hooked for the next episode like yeah there's always a next as opposed to like a movie and it makes you think of times that that's been done poorly and uh phantom of the opera would be my go-to because <laughs> phantom of the opera was a serial um, I'm, 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 maybe I'm wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure it was a mystery serial. Every chapter ended on a cliffhanger, uh-huh. you know, oh, who's this, who's that? Because they were trying to get you to read, you know, wait for next week or whatever to read right, the next right. one. And we've only ever put it into singular adaptation, like media, like it's, it's only ever been Broadway mm-hmm. and movies like yeah which is weird because like i said you know there's what are you cliffhangering for in the middle of those except for maybe acts maybe when it was you know previously it was you know a cliffhanger at the end of every chapter because that's what it was designed for yeah Um, and 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 you're right i'm just looking it up just to not to cut you off but yeah you're right it was initially a serial in a french newspaper in the early 1900s before being formally released as, as a volume. And then obviously adaptions later down the road, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, but yeah, it, it hits, it just hit me when reading this, like this will do great for television. Um, because of that, just the way it's written always has a banger at the end of the arc always has the banger, you know, like it's just set up to be continuous. Um, Oh, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and no, you're absolutely right. And obviously I think we, we talked last time or we're not going to spoil anything beyond kind of the arcs we're working on just for anyone listening in who's, who's reading along for the first time. But I think we're both well aware of events that happen down the road that just make sense as, okay, well, this will probably be the end of say season one, right? Or this is going to be a cliffhanger for an episode in the middle of the season. Like there's just, there's very obvious moments that, that, uh, that we're going to get to. Um, but no, that's That kind of makes our job a little easier, which is nice. And also with the arcs being, especially at this point, uh, like we were saying pretty neatly contained for, uh, episodes, right? Because like, like you were saying, like he writes for the cliffhanger, he writes for the, the reader to keep reading. So it's going to be, it's going to be really easy to transition that aspect of the story, which is definitely going to help. Um, which, speaking of which, let's talk just quickly because we mentioned this in the last episode of like that that kind of cliffhanger slash tag for the end of episode one or the end of arc one. Um, mm. 
and how I think I was thinking, I don't know if we were on the exact same page, but I was thinking because the, because, uh, uh, arc two sort of opens with, um, Taylor reading the message from, from Tattletale, uh, about meeting up later. And I was thinking like, what a great, there's a couple ways you could sort of end that first episode. I was trying to think of like, what's a good little tag to end on. And the two that came to mind was either ending on seeing Taylor, seeing the news report from the protectorate that the, that lung was captured. So mm. kind of that little, that little maybe smirk or sigh of relief, yeah. or something like yeah. that, that just sort of, that just sort of, you know, reassures Taylor's commitment to her path, which is what she wants to do. Or then the other one I thought of was the same idea, but ending it on her seeing that message from Tattletale and, mm. and kind of giving that sort of uh, less, less certain, but still exciting approach. But e- either way, I think there's a few different ways you could do that. Sort yeah, of I like the smirk approach because it just, like you said, it, it solidifies that. And I think it goes really well with the ending of this one as well, which is uh, the ending of the course for this is literally looks, you know, looks at camera, camera changes, see, you know, shot to the gun on the table mm-hmm. back to, you know, looking at her and she's on the phone and she goes, good people. Yeah. And then what the cut right there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, I, I think they're actually, good people. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. That's true. That is a great. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Exactly. Like you're saying. And you can great. even bring that good. smile back too. That like yeah. little. Yeah. I think they're good yep. people. Bam. Yep. Um, yep. Which leads me to asking it where do you put the interlude? Mm. Yeah. I was thinking about this. Because you could do two things. One, you could open with it. Right? I think it's a great opener. I think you could. Yeah, I think it. I think it cold works really open. well. Little cold open, little bit of world building, right? Um, yeah. It obviously kind of sets the stage for some things to come. You get a couple extra characters, some new faces, and also Taylor's arc doesn't really open in any sort of exciting fashion in this part. Um, it yeah. gets it gets exciting, but it's not it's not the way you want to like jump into an episode for television, right? You want to kind of grab everybody. No, I think I think I think opening on the interlude would be fantastic. A fun bit of excitement, some different characters. Yeah, great great way to open the episode. Yeah. Um, and for future reference, I think there's a few of these, you know, that you I think maybe just having the cold open with a lot of the ending interludes is just the way to go. But I also think have some post credit scenes. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Especially in a show like this, you want to be talking during the credits with whoever you're watching it with, you know, week to week. Uh, and then have that, you know, you're talking through it so that you can get to the post credit and then talk more. Um, especially as that's been kind of established for superhero movies. Yep. Thanks, Marvel. <laughs> but I don't think that's a terrible idea. I think that's fun. And I don't think TV shows do it enough. Um, especially if you're streaming. There's no time limit, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. I, 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 it's kind of funny. We, we've sort of grown at the after credit scene sometimes now. But, but it really is contained almost exclusively to Marvel. With like a handful of other shows doing their own little spin on it every now and then. Um, but 
but it really it does work when you're when you're when you're telling an expansive story that's going to you know uh, continue and contain all these other characters marvel sort of uses it to promote their upcoming films and things like that it's sort of not too related to anything um but i agree i think i think we absolutely need to see more of them and um i had i had a great idea for one that i'm just noting the time here because i'm absolutely going to cut this because this is a huge spoiler but i I want to tell you right now because i think it'd be great but like at the end of episode one just like a little fade out right at the as the credits are rolling we pull out of brockton bay and there's just a ripple across the ocean Mm. that's that's all we get just Mm. like it's just like a little touch oh oh i love that oh you tick you you tickled I, I think you can leave that in. Okay. That's, okay. <laughs> I think you can leave that in. It tickled my balls a little. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. Mm. We'll come back to that. Just a little tease for anybody else who's who's not quite sure what we're referring to. Mm, but uh, so that's really good. That's really subtle. Yeah. Especially for like once again, you know, we don't have a uh for episode one, you know, the interlude was the dad, and I don't think we need that as after. I think yeah, that gets thrown yeah. in the middle, actually. Yeah, probably. Um I think that's a great because you only need it for like what a 15, 20 second shot. Yep. Just something quick. Yeah. yeah exactly. And it's I, I think I think the other thing we're gonna run into a bit, we we've, we kind of already are, is warm is so big, it's so expansive, you can't devote the same amount of attention to everything that you can in the book. We just we're just not gonna be able to. So it's it's really picking and choosing our battles and and how much time we choose to devote. But we also have to make sure that we're giving enough so that these big scenes and, and moments and characters don't just come totally out of the blue, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm sure we'll be, we'll be doing some editing and, and kind of rewriting as we, as we go along. But, uh, but no, I like that. Interlude, interlude is the cold open. I think that's going to work for, for a few of these episodes here, for sure. I mean, I think, it, I forget if it's the boys that does it probably but like you have the, the the cold open there where like you know they glory girl and uh panacea are walking away and joking and they walk basically you know past the camera and the guy is laying on the street groaning and crawling yeah. and that's when you throw title right above him as he's wriggling away yep yep Oh man, we'll have to come back. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a whole little episode of just designing title sequences because I think we could have a lot of fun with that. Uh, I, off- I cannot read or write for that matter without imagining yeah. like vividly what it would look like in frame and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for me, this is all naturally how it would occur. Well, and it's, it's such a... I, I, I think it's another underutilized visual kind of uh um I don't want to say a gag, but I guess I guess it kind of is a gag that I don't think is I don't think is is done enough, right? Um I think of just to kind of keep within the genre, I think Invincible on on Amazon mm. does such oh, a yes. such a clever a clever job of incorporating the title sequence into the series. Yes. And for anyone who doesn't know who hasn't seen Invincible, very simple. They just take the word Invincible, which is the title of the show and when a character is about to say the word invincible, they just cut and show the title. <laughs> and that's all it is. It's such a simple little funny gag, but it works so well. And it just gives a little bit of character to the show that helps 
just really sell the tone of what you're watching. So yeah. I think there's a lot of really fun ways you can you can explore title crawls. Yeah. Especially since the chapters like I love you know, I love Wild Bow and I think his chapters are very hit or miss with the titles. Mm-hmm. Like I think he he th- has an idea of what he's going for and I don't think it lands all the time. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I kind of agree. Definitely think um they don't they don't always hit, but again, not something we necessarily always have to pull to pull from right when we're when we're titling episodes and things like yeah. that. You know what? While we're at it, we'll rewrite the titles. We've got to come up with the title of each episode. We'll rewrite the titles. We there got we go. you. JC <laughs> McCray, I got you. Got you. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Uh, what else? Uh, what else you got on your? I've on got your a couple there. like visual motifs. Okay. Uh, not even visual. Just is motif maybe the word? I'll go with motif. Yeah, that we follow and transfer to, and then follow a different one. Um, but it's kind of it's kind of good through lines. Uh, the first is the pepper spray right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about she had this pepper spray. Her dad, you know, gave her the pepper spray. Uh, that's why she has it, but she's using it. And then he asks her about the pepper spray at the beginning, and she like realizes she like left it in her costume or whatnot. But it's talked about, and so you can kind of like follow the pepper spray and where it's mentioned. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other part of that is uh, money, which mm. I realize is really broad, but mm-hmm. you know, there's talk about, oh, you owe money for this textbook. Oh, here's some money for doing some stuff. Hey, would you like to make more money? Like, yeah, that's, you know, something that's bounced back and forth. And, and you know, those aren't just there. Those are, once again, those are going to be things that were mentioned before that are continue to mention that like, when we show maybe from now on having a gun on the table, every time we show a shot from that kind of angle, we've gun on the table. We think back to that scene where, you know, she says, yeah, I think they're good people and lies yep. to her dad about it. Like, yeah, I think having those visual motifs of bam gun from this angle, you know, yep. I think you can consistently do that for the rest of the story. Yeah. I mean, that plays into an old like Hitchcock rule of filmmaking where um, it's got a name, but I forget what it's called. But basically the the size of an object within the framing of the shot Mm. is directly Mm. proportional to its importance in that shot. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you think it like two guys, you know, Western duel, you're going to get a close up of their hand on their gun because it's a duel. (laughs) It's really important. You better show that if you don't, it feels wrong. So yeah, going along with that, you can absolutely frame because it doesn't have to be just objects. You can of course apply that to anything, just whether it's you're referencing, like you said, how much something costs, right? Or you want to actually show the pepper spray, things like that can absolutely be used to help sell the weight and emotion of a scene later on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, moving on from that, because that's like my entire thing for 2.1. 2.1 two through like 2.5 is just a lot of uh you know it's it's the classroom stuff but it's a lot of like looking on the wikis and looking online Mm -hmm. and internal monologue and i think we can zip through most of that 
maybe do some like clicking, looking up some bigger things like the looking, uh, seeing lungs arrest and then smiling. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Especially if you show arms master basically in frame being like arm master caught that. And like the fact that she smiles and doesn't get upset that he took all the credit. Um, yeah, and maybe some just like quick clicking through stuff, but I don't think you should spend any more than like five, ten seconds of her researching stuff. Um, because it's just so much typing in things, looking it up. Like, yeah, yeah. May- maybe, maybe you spend a little bit more time if we're like showing like, oh, looking up the names of the undersiders and just some quick stuff on the screen. Um, no, yeah, the, I, I agree. I agree. Maybe the big one being bitch. I mean, because that is the big one here. Uh, mm-hmm. And then trying to look up herself, you know, for the connection, obviously. Yeah, and it, it, you're right. It, it really shouldn't be more than a, a short scene, a couple minutes, right? Because one, it's hard to do text to screen. Like you, we, there's some creative ways that we've seen like text messages and things like that done nowadays, which is pretty clever. But you really don't want to be watching your your protagonist watching a screen <laughs> like it just doesn't yeah. translate well yeah but i agree you i mean we need to have it in some capacity because it's kind of it's a it's an important little it's, scene and it's in, it's important exposition yeah like yeah especially searching for herself i mean and then and then looking up the undersiders and all that kind of stuff is gonna is gonna be important so you definitely put it in but yeah i agree you don't you don't spend too long on it kind of quickly work, work through work through the cast get a few important details out of the way yeah. Um, so what yeah. I do have a a difficult problem with here. Okay. So we have to overcome. How do we show that is it Emma was her best friend? Yeah. And is using the death of her mom to torture Taylor. Like like is you Emma's using Taylor's mom's death to yeah. torture Taylor. Yeah. Because there's a whole flashback of them as kids. And I originally thought of using that as maybe our cold open. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would feel so weird to just have an entire flashback sequence right there. Um, or anywhere else. So like, do we hang on to that for later? Yeah. Um, as a, as a thing, uh, that you know, we eventually realize, like, Oh, she was her best friend and she's now she's a total bitch. Like, that's why she knew that. Or yeah. do you like, yeah, I, I, I don't know what to do with that. But I feel like that's pretty important for how much this hurts Taylor. Yeah, no, I agree. And it, it is kind of tricky because you could put it into a quick line from her father, you know, at some point, maybe, mm. maybe while they're eating. Cause I, I think doesn't, I, I, I'm already forgetting the chapter a bit, but, um, cause I feel like he mentions something about that, or maybe it's in his, in his interlude at the end of arc one. Um, but you could easily put in a quick line there or something like that. Uh, just something, something subtle to imply that there was a friendship there. Right. Yeah. Um, Cause you don't have to go too deep into that. At least not right now. Uh, yeah. I like, th- I'm going to write that down. Dad, because the dad knew and he yeah. was, yeah. yeah. And you know, that would lead up that like, yeah yeah but i agree it's tricky because you want to again this is this is going to be i think a really common problem sound like a broken record but it's going to be hard 
trying to figure out how to include bits of exposition into the story without the, without the first person sort of narrative yeah. there. But uh, and I'd rather be more subtle than not in this case. I agree. Um, Because these are things that like aren't essential to the story. Yeah. But they add a lot of flavor to it. Yep. Um, And I once again, like I love less than more. So for me. Yeah. And I mean, audiences are smart. Like you, you give them a quick line, you give them a you you give them you give them something here and there and they pick up the pieces, you know. Yeah. It's it's pretty pretty easy to figure figure these things out you're right you're right um hmm. uh i think another thing showing is taylor's stress flexing ah okay yeah she stress flexes uh a few times before this but i think and i can't remember if it's here or not uh but when she's getting bullied i think having her sit there and flex her hand and like maybe the bug noises in her head and her like you know, doing breathing exercises and, you know, basically willing the bugs away so she doesn't do anything. Yep. You know, but then later when she starts stress flexing while bitch is there, you know, just yeah. giving up on all that and going fucking hog wild like she does. Yep. Yep. You know, and that's one of those like you're talking about the, you know, the dueling where like you're, you know, you're watching the frame is on the hand flexing. And then when it like halfway through flexing, just kind of like stops and you're like, oh, shit. Like. You know, she realized, like, why the fuck am I trying to relax? Like, I don't need to. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that just that would flow so well. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I feel like all of honestly the her and her dad talking is one scene going to school is you know mm-hmm. a couple quick scenes of like gladly pulling her aside you know that's nothing um the biggest part of this episode comes when you know tattletale is talking to her you know meets her invites her over yep and then they have that conversation between this one and the last one i don't know if we need hour-long episodes. Yeah, again, and I think I think it's going to sort of you know, I think I think as we're writing it, we don't concern ourselves too much with that at this point. Like yeah. as, as you're putting together the final pieces, you you kind of want to make sure that there's some uniformity there. But but no, I agree. I think it's I think it's smarter to just work on adapting the the arcs and scenes as they come and then and then figure out the rest later. If you need to add or remove stuff, yeah. you know, so um, I would make the argument that this episode would be shorter than the first arc. Yeah. I mean, it feels that way. I think, I mean, I think the lar- the largest, the or the longest scene is, would be her with the undersiders. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that pretty much carries you through the end of, through the end of the arc. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. This is one of those, uh, this is why I like streaming as a platform to put it on um, mm-hmm. is uh, I was watching uh, Ted Lasso on Apple. Oh, so good. And you know, I love that, but I, I remember watching, they were 20, you know, they started like in the twenties, you know, like 23 minute episode, you know, yep. very quick, very to the point, you know, very tight dialogue and everything. Um, but 
that's only for the first season. And by the end of the first season, they're up to like 30 minutes. After that, it wildly fluctuates. Mm -hmm. But it kind of steadily increases. And then occasionally we'll have like a downcrease where by the end, you're having hour long episodes and occasionally you'll have like a weird 40 minute episode. Um, (laughs) Right, right. So so the beauty of like, because you're not trying to fit it in a time slot, I think, you know, and 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 once again, you know, you're not trying to invest as much production value into it until it's picked up, uh, you know, obviously you have the first couple of seasons be. 30 minute episodes like, you know, first season's 30 minute episodes until the chapters do begin to build up in length. And like, hey, everybody liked season one. Every season after this is going to be hour long episodes because that's just how the chapters are built. But I think would also sell really well for like. A show. Oh, yeah. No. And you make a good point there with the fact that like for the first season, you need to build an audience so you don't you don't risk your your massive epic you know episodes and and these massive budgets when when you really don't know kind of what your audience's response is going to be and so you don't you don't need to do that you don't need to put more in than is there because the story sells itself i mean that's why we're having this whole podcast yeah <laughs> the story's yeah. gonna it's gonna do that on its own we don't have to worry about that um, no, I agree. What, I, what I'd really love to see, and this is maybe something we can explore as we're kind of coming back over this and, and sort of framing, framing episodes together. I was a huge fan of the way Andor framed its episodes, the Star Wars show on Disney+. Mm. Plus. Um, I still need to watch it. Yeah, f- fantastic show. But just in terms of structure, Andor, they released the episodes individually, but they're grouped into uh, groups of three. And Three episodes mm. represent sort of an arc of the story. And there's 12 episodes total. And so the first yeah. three are an arc, the second three are an arc. And then there's like, then there's like one gap episode. And then it's like another three. And then like a final two or something like that. I have to look at it again. Um, but it, it's a, it just flows so well because you get, you get that tension that we're talking about in those arcs between the episodes. And then there's this big, release of tension at the end of each arc but but still keeps you you know engaged for the for the next episode but it's like Mm. it's a beautiful build and release of tension as the season progresses up into the climax of the season which just is so earned because of that and so i it's something i think we could play around with a lot in terms of like grouping episodes together that that flow well together like for example i think honestly with, we're not going to talk about it, but but arcs two and three, I think, flow together pretty well, and so you can kind of cap groups of episodes off and and think about those in terms of like, all right, this is a little arc of the story we're going to tell, and we're going to split it up into the, into two or three parts, and they can be between you know, it doesn't really matter, thirty minutes, forty five minutes, an hour, whatever, whatever you need to tell that chunk of story. Yeah, yeah. The last thing I'm thinking about is. Like I'm watching vicariously the Vampire Diaries. Now, obviously, <laughs> I would never watch it directly because oh, of course, that's not me. Um, but you know, Hannah watches it, and mm-hmm. so I, you know, not only the Vampire Diaries, but I've also seen Supernatural. I've been seeing mm. uh, just that vein of shows. Yeah. Um, and. Now, but now that being said, I have, of course, watched Jenny Nicholson's 
uh, Jenny Nichols Nicholson Nicholson yeah Nicholson yeah her like three and a half hour uh, breakdown of the Vampire Diaries so I feel like I have a complete knowledge of the show um, but it just made me think like man for how wild the story is um, the cast of characters the the like I don't know the kind of the budget, how small it feels almost, but what it's trying to do. Like, I feel like worm could very easily fit in with that kind of budgetary restrictions for a lot of the show. Mm -hmm. And, but, but it would just be better writing. It would be so easy. Like I could see when these characters are talking, like I could literally see Oh, what if we just had that actor play this character in Worm? Like, right. It would be just so much more compelling of a right. story, but you could literally keep the same. Like, and, and there are some things they do where they get really creative with like vampire powers and stuff. Like, how do you shoot super speed and strength? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, like, I think small things like that are, show a level of creativity that Wild Bo had when writing it that I think would be interesting to see a low budget director figure out a way to replicate that on film. Yep. Um, you know, how, how do you show all the cool powers when you have a low budget? Uh, you know, I think it would be really cool to see somebody try and do that. Now, obviously you hope it, it would do better than worse, but I think the creativity and the trying to show it off would be way better um then uh, oh yeah then other stuff yeah no absolutely i think i think i i think there's a there is a, a a freedom that comes with a lower budget production that seems counterintuitive but i think you're spot on i mean i think just just to use recent examples rings of power had a massive budget on amazon per episode it was like I forget what the number was. It was like 20 or 30 million dollars per episode. I mean, just outrageous. And it's used well. The show looks beautiful. I mean, it's a yeah. it's a beautiful show. But but I think back to what made the original Lord of the Rings films so impressive. And it was not a bloated budget. Now they made their budget work, but what made that show what made those movies great were just the care and, and time that Peter Jackson put into crafting each scene and the interactions of these characters. And that is absolutely something that you can recreate on a, on a, on a smaller budget. You don't, you don't need that. And oftentimes I think those bigger budget shows feel like, oh, well, we can, we can just pay for it, right? We can just, we can fix it in post. Oh, we'll do, re, we'll do reshoots. We'll just, we'll, we'll bring everybody back. We'll, do, we'll take extra time, you know? And I, I think that, I think you nailed it. I think a lot of, a lot of, the best shows made were, were done on smaller budgets because you were kind of forced to focus on what mattered and mm. let, and, and sort of let the rest just, just be affected by, by the important stuff. Um, you know, I think there's a, I think that's something to be said for the popularity of, for example, the, the CW uh, DC shows. Yeah. Not not gonna lie, there I I I've I have stopped watching most of them just because I can't handle the way a lot of those dramas go these days. But I respect yeah. a lot of what they did in the earlier days, which was just sort of 
letting the characters and, and, and the fun of the show sell itself and not get too bogged down because nobody cares if they can, if they can tell that an effect is a, is a little bit less realistic than a big budget action film. Like, yeah, you, you just want to, you want to watch a good show. You want to watch a good, a good story unfold. So absolutely agree. Yeah. yeah. I, I got nothing else right now. I, I, I'm just excited to keep reading and start honestly writing on this. Yeah, I know we want to definitely start kind of putting putting thoughts to paper here and I'm, we'll start kind of spelling this out. And I think it's going to be fun as we're making our way kind of parallel with the book club, uh, sort of adapting arcs as we read them. I think it's going to be fun afterwards too to sort of go back and, and kind of edit our work and sort of start putting in you know, foreshadowing and things like that that we want to make sure we get in and things like that. So it's going to be fun to sort of work on this as we yeah, go here. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't have anything else. I think uh, I think that about wraps it up. Thanks for everyone who's uh, who's listening along with us. I hope you're enjoying. And uh, let us know if you got any suggestions or ideas. We would definitely want to want to hear what everybody else is saying. Hopefully, we'll have a few others of the in the group here to uh, to share their thoughts as well as as the weeks go on. But uh, we'll catch you in episode three for arc three. I think we're going to keep the the arc per episode for the time being. So excited uh, to see how that goes on for you know yeah as long as it can as, as long as it can and there will be a point where, where we'll have to break it up but we'll cross that bridge when we get there anyway thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you next time thank you so much for listening read along with us at parahumans.wordpress.com we'd love to hear your thoughts what did you love what did you hate anything you think we missed etc as long as it's kind If you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter, Threads, Instagram, TikTok, and Reddit at Brockton Bay BC or click the link in the description.